Let's open up our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5 this morning. For the next couple of weeks, this Sunday and next Sunday, we're going to be looking at marriage. And all God's people said, Hallelujah! <laughs> the outline is, is pretty simple. It's, it's found on the website. Uh, this morning we're going to talk about the context or the, the foundation of marriage, really is what that is. And then the purpose of marriage, we'll try to finish that up in the next week. The duties of Christian marriage... And then the principles, will end up with some principles of Christian marriage. And I'm emphasizing the term Christian, um, which you will figure, know why a little bit later on. Because who he's addressing, actually, in verse 22, when he says wives, and again in verse 25, when he says husbands, he has in mind Christians, husbands, and wives. And our culture, as you're well aware of, the biblical concept of marriage has fallen on hard times. But I didn't even like to go as far as say it's all been lost. For all intents and purposes. I don't think I have my sound on. Okay. Sorry, guys. That sound, is that better? So in our culture, the biblical concept, I hear myself now, of marriage is all but lost. Whoa. Uh, in an age of individualism, in an age of relativism, the concept of marriage has been expanded way beyond, way beyond the biblical boundaries. And we should not be surprised at this because the Bible is no longer our standard. God is no longer, therefore, honored. We don't care about how he's designed things. And now we're in an age where everyone, just like the time of Judges, everyone does what's right in their own eyes. It's relativism. If it's good for me, that's fine. Don't bug me. I'm happy. Everything's okay. And this cannot be any clearer. This attitude, by the way, cannot be any clearer than in the area of marriage, the ordinance of marriage. Uh, as you well know, it's been twisted, and the thinking of other words, distorted, redefined, redesigned, etc. But it's no longer viewed as being between a man and a woman. I'm not going to really address that this week or, or next. Uh, and as opposed, today it's two women or two men. It can be whatever you want. Uh, there are other perversions as well that sometimes we don't think about, but are still just as real. Open marriages, you've heard of that term. And you've also heard of cohabitation. People who just don't want the commitment, they'll live together for a long period of time, right? They just don't want to make that commitment, and to them that's fine. Open marriages, well, you can explore a little bit outside the boundaries of your partner or your marriage partner you've committed to, etc., etc. That's very popular these days as well. But it's clear that none of these things, none of these perversions, I should say, none of these distortions have a place or should even be named among Christians among followers of Jesus Christ. And not just because he's a killjoy, but because he is, he is what? He is, he's, he's, he's above it all. He's, he's majesty. He's glorious. We value him above all else. And we love dearly what he says. And we know how his design is not only for his glory, which is the ultimate, is for his glory, but it's also for, for his children's good. So having said that, let's go ahead and stand together. We're going to read chapter 5. We'll read verses 22 through 33. We won't cover all these verses this morning at all, but we will read them together. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to the husbands in everything. 
Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He loves his own wife, loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great by him speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is your will. We're reading it. This, what you restore, when we are renewed, when we are new creatures in Christ, and we begin to pursue a spouse, or we get saved even while being married, you begin that renewal process. You begin to restore not just us as individuals, but even marriages and how we look at marriage and the purpose and the reason for marriage. The foundation of marriage is restored. The purpose of marriage is brought to light. The duties of marriage we begin to enjoy and to see because they bring you glory and honor. And we want to live by the principles of Christian marriage as well. Why, God? Because it's how you call us to magnify the Savior. It's not just about marriage. It's about you. Help us to see that. Help us to embrace that. May that truth grip us this morning and, and next. And, and so, God, may we may you stir up delight in our heart as we look through this passage of Scripture and, and others. When we look at the institution that you've created, you've designed, called marriage. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, the attack on marriage is the poisonous fruit of innate rebellion against God, Romans chapter 1. Okay? It's just, that's what this is. When we look at marriage and how it's being attacked, it is the fruit of an, an innate attack or rebellion against who God is. According to Romans 8, 7, and 8, we are born in enmity with God. There's no fear of God, and we don't want him to reign in our lives. That's what that means. That's, that's what sinners are like. That's who I was before I trusted Christ. I wanted to be my own man. I want to live life my way. Jesus says in John 3, this is the judgment that light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light. What changes a man, changes a woman, is Christ himself, the power of the gospel. The gospel is the light of Christ. That light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light, and does not come to the light, for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Because that's where we're at in our culture. And by the way, every culture is there, okay? Not just ours. That's just humanity. It's human nature. It's fallen. It's corrupt. We're born with that enmity, Romans 8, 7, and 8. And that's why marriage is designed, instituted by God, is no longer thought of according to his ways. 
is no longer thought of in reference to his glory. Okay? When we think about marriage, I want us to think about God's glory. There's a purpose for marriage. Don't think of just marriage as marriage, but think about it as a design from God for his glory. Ironically, you know, people want the benefits of marriage, like intimacy, as a companionship, comforting one another during hard times, going through joys and sorrows together, or they want children to nurture together, but they do not want that with restrictions of commitment. They want those things without the commitment. Okay? Uh, without the duties that come with marriage as God's designed them. However, I want to say this. The sermon this morning, the sermon for next week, is not about restoring the biblical concept of marriage to society or in society. I'm not, we're not going to be talking about that. This is about the Christian marriage. It's about us. It's about you and me. It's about our families. It's about our marriages. It's about restoring marriage in the church. Uh, let me illustrate that for a minute. In our culture, okay, Okay, here's the culture, here's the church. Okay? In culture, the last 20, 30 years, the, the idea, the concept of marriage as God's designed it has what? Just deteriorated. It's been perverted, right? I mean, marriage is being redefined. Okay? <laughs> Cohabitation, these things I mentioned earlier. It's got, the temptation for the church is to say, okay, the culture is way down here, so what we tend to do is follow behind it a little bit. So our standard becomes down here a little bit. Through the preaching of God's word, we keep it where it should be. Does that make sense? Our tendency as a church, not just grace community, but the tendency as Christians is to look at the culture and compare ourselves with the standard they've come up with. But their standard has all gone down south, hasn't it? And so we tend to measure ourselves by the world around us instead of with scripture. Which brings it right back up to where it should be. That's the purpose of this. Does that make sense? Let me, let me illustrate this as well. Uh, even if the world corrected itself in some areas, it would still not be Christian. What I want to do is define what I mean by Christian marriage for, for this morning and for next week. For example, it is not enough for us to say our marriages are Christian because it consists of one man and one woman. A lot of unbelievers, believing world, most of them still a majority, their marriages are made up of one man and one woman, but that does not make it a Christian marriage. Nor is it enough to say our marriages are Christian because we've been together for many years. There's a lot of unbelievers who have been married for 30, 40, 50 years. But a long time does not make for a what? Christian marriage. It is not enough to say that our marriages are Christian because people love one another, because they get along really well. There's a lot of Unbelieving, a lot of non-Christians, people who don't call themselves Christians, who get along really well in their marriages. So getting along well does not make for a Christian marriage. These things, as good as they are, do not make for a Christian marriage. That's why I entitled this sermon, The Christian Marriage. Not because of those things, but because those things don't constitute necessarily what? That, that marriage is Christian. Okay? Hence, that's really the reason why I entitled it the way I did, the Christian marriage. So what makes for a Christian marriage? That begs the question, doesn't it? What makes for it? Well, there are a number of biblical truths that make 
the Christian marriage. And I want to cover them, and I have four. We'll cover the first two this morning. We'll try to, okay? And then the next two for the following week. Number one, the foundation of Christian marriage we're going to talk about this morning, and then the purpose of Christian marriage. Or hopefully we'll cover, get able to cover those two this morning. And then the duties of Christian marriage, that's where we're going to get into the idea of what submission is, okay? And what the husband's love for the wife looks like. We're going to deal with that next week, okay? And then we'll, we'll end with the principles of Christian marriage. Let's look at the first one. The first one, the foundation, or the context. I think I have a you notes, the context of Christian marriage. I kind of like the word foundation. It's just, you know. Uh, here's the context. Here's the foundation. Number one, they're saved. Gotta be it. Right? Look at, look at, our, look at, look at Ephesians chapter 5 for a moment, verse 22 and 25. <laughs> You've got to understand when Paul says wives in verse 22, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Who does he have in mind? The Christian wife. Those who have been blessed according to chapter 1, verse 3, these blessings that you have in Christ, those who are born again, those who have a passion and desire to magnify Christ, that's the wife he has in mind. Same thing in verse 25, husbands. A man who is what? A follower of Jesus Christ. We have to define what, what we mean here, what Paul is saying here, who, who he is really describing here is the Christian husband, the Christian wife. They're saved. They're followers of Christ. This means two things. Number one, they believe marriage is God is a God ordained institution. That's number one. Okay. So when you think of a Christian wife, a Christian man, a husband, number one, they understand that marriage is a God ordained institution. Hebrews eleven three says this: By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared. By the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. When we look at the creation, and even look at design and relationships, particularly the marriage, we see that that was what? Created by God. In, he, in Hebrews 11.3, he says that. By faith we believe that marriage is a design from God. That's foundational block number one. Block number two is that we're saved. Right? Okay? So let's look at the first one, and then we will follow through with the second. Let's go to Genesis chapter 2. Go to the beginning of your Bibles. Genesis chapter 2. As we're laying this foundation, where we're building the context upon which Paul writes, Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Genesis chapter 2. Make a few observations in a few verses here, particularly verse 22. Verse 22 reads, The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. Observation number one. God brought her to man. Man did not go get her. An angel did not bring her to Adam. God brought her to Adam. God did not merely create woman out of man, but for man. So he just didn't create her out of him, but he brought her to him, which means he created her for him. And brought her to the man. God grabbed her hand and walked her over to Adam. 
What do we do in marriages during the ceremony when the, when the father gives the bride over to the groom? The, the practice is to what? Put her hand into the groom's hand. So, so what we see in verse 22 is not just a man and woman. We see marriage beginning right here, ordained by God, designed by him. He brought her to the man. In verse 23, the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Notice this. He did not create her from something out of his head. He did not create her out of something from Adam's foot, but from his side. Because she used to be with him. The idea here is companionship which we'll get at in a few minutes. Because look up to verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper, a companion, suitable for him. So that's the observation. And God brings her to Adam, brings Eve to Adam. He did not really create woman out of man, but for man. God brought her to the man. This is not just a picture of God creating a woman out of man, but giving woman to the man. It's a picture, <clears throat> excuse me, of a wife for a husband marriage. It's right there in verse 22. But this is best viewed in light of verses 19 and 20. Something happened before verse 22. Okay, look at our Bibles. After verse 18, which I just read, then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Verse 19, out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the sky, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and the birds of the sky, every beast of the field. But for Adam, notice the end of verse 20, but, contrary, but for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. Out of what? The animals. Do you get that? Look at verse 18. I don't know if you've ever seen this before, but verse 18, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I'll make him a helper suitable for him. And then God brings all the, Adam, all the animals to Adam to name them. And at the end of that, in verse 20, Adam realizes there's not anyone found a helper suitable for him. There's not, really, there's not a companion amongst all these animals. Right? Into verse 20. Verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. Adam saw how unsuitable all the creatures were for him. They did not fit the bill, so to speak. They were not the kind of health meat that he needed. He wasn't, they weren't the mate that Adam needed. And so God joined Eve with Adam to help him, to complement him because he is incomplete without her. Another observation is this, God joined Adam and Eve. This is where we get the definition of marriage where I just talked about a few moments ago, excuse me. An angel did not escort her. Adam did not go and get her. God escorted her to Adam. This is God's making. This is God's design. He created marriage for his glory and the good of humankind. 
Second, the Christian marriage not only views marriage as being created and designed by God, but be followers of Jesus Christ. Okay? Let me say this. The Christian marriage not only has in view God as the creator and designer of marriage, but the Christian marriage has in, in mind <coughs> Jesus Christ and his church. Jesus Christ as Lord. Jesus Christ as Savior. He is the one that really makes for the Christian marriage. You take this one out and you no longer have a Christian marriage. You can even have unbelievers thinking there's a God who created everything and somehow this God, whoever he is, created marriage for husband and wife. That in and of itself does not make for a Christian marriage. Not till Christ comes in does it make for a Christian marriage. So we go back to verse 22 and 25 of Ephesians 5. And we see that the wife and the husband are followers of Jesus Christ. And it's Christ who makes the Christian marriage. It separates that marriage apart from all other marriages. And therefore this wife and this husband have this new desire to manifest Christ in their relationship. And it's a joyful manifestation. It's a desire. They want to do this. And they get excited about it. Let's go back to Ephesians 5, actually. I like what Paul says. Wives, be subject to your own husbands. Ask the Lord. Go down to verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. This is beautiful. In a culture of a nominal Christianity, where so many people are Christian in name only and not in reality, in this culture, it's crucial it's absolutely necessary that we understand Christian marriage. And when Christ is not in both, not just one, both, Christ must be, right, they must both the wife and husband, a follower of Christ, born again, not just one, both, for it to be a Christian marriage. Let me just use the wife as an example, using Ephesians. The wife knows she's blessed, chapter 1, verse 3 of Ephesians. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, a wife who has been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. This wife, verse 4, knows she's chosen of God. This wife, verse 5, know, knows that she's been adopted and was adopted before the foundation of the world. This is the term predestination. She knows that God's grip is on her. She knows, verse 7 of chapter 1, she is redeemed. She knows she has an inheritance, verse 11. She knows she is sealed and secured by the Holy Spirit, verse 13. The wives, this wife is the one who knows these things, chapter 1. And she is, she is so secure in who she is in Christ. Because all that God has done for her, all the riches that she has in Christ, this is who she is. She's been redefined as a child of God. She's been born again. And the same could be said for the husband, verse 25. But here's the thing. Because she is so blessed, she doesn't want to risk the blessedness. She's so in love with Christ, she doesn't want anybody to get in the way of that love. So she starts looking for the Christian man to possibly be her husband because she doesn't want her relationship with Christ to be at risk, so to speak. 
Make sense? Because she is so loved. She has no greater love than Christ. And she will never sacrifice her love for Christ for any man. That's the wife here. That's the wife. All those blessings in chapter 1 equal. If we, if we write all those blessings in chapter 1 of Ephesians. All those blessings, like in 1-3. All those blessings we have in Christ equals security. And she will never risk that security that she has in Christ. Matter of fact, she will look for a man who will reinforce that security for her. And beloved, listen to me, listen to me. When she finds that man, then she's willing to place herself under his authority. It all begins here. What Christ has done for her. Because when she sees that, she understands that, and she begins to look for a man who will reinforce that in her life. Husbands, dare we, after being married for 10, 15, 20, 32 years, ask our wives, are you closer to Christ as a result of being married to me or not? What would your wife say? Right? I've asked it. You ask it. It's a great time. It, but that's how we approach this. That's why when we love her, we, we want to sanctify her. I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm getting into next week a little bit. But I wanted to give you a glimpse of that. Right? Because she's looking to be loved by a man who will love her with the love of Christ. And therefore, she's looking for that kind of security in that man that she got in Christ. Though it be imperfect. We'll talk about that next week as well, for sure. Can't avoid that one, can we? So what does she do? She looks for a man of like mind and like desires. She looks for a man who prioritizes Christ above all else because she does. And she wants that kind of man. She wants to find a man who will love Jesus more than her. A man wants to find a gal who will love Jesus more than him. Right? That's a Christian marriage. My wife loves to see her husband submit to somebody else, namely Christ. That's why she loves to see her husband on his knees now and then. Loves to see her husband in the Word. Because those are practical actions of submission, right? And then she loves to hear her husband say, I'm sorry, I sinned. Would you forgive me? Because she sees that her husband is, 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 is under the lordship, the headship of Christ himself. That's the Christian marriage. She so desires to show forth Christ in her life and her marriage, she looks for the evidence in a man before she gets married. She's not going to wait. She realizes she cannot be the Holy Spirit of somebody else. He's a great guy. We got a lot of things in common. He looks great. He's a super. He's just not saved. Well, you're not going to be his Holy Spirit. You cannot cause or make him to be born again. Don't go there. Don't go there. Period. Do not go there. That's unequally yoked. You will not make for a Christian marriage if you have a husband marry an unbelieving wife or as a wife marry an unbelieving man. 
to your husband. That is not a Christian marriage. And you'll be asking for heartache. And you're being very presumptuous, by the way. Thinking, well, maybe later on he'll get saved. You see, knowing that God has her best interest in mind, knowing that God is providential, knowing that God loves her so much that he will one day bring that man into her life, she is patient. She's patient. She does not get anxious in looking for a husband because she knows God's got a plan for her. He's got the right man for her. And so she's patient. She's so in love with Christ. Being unequally yoked, unequally yoked, excuse me, is not an option. It's just simply not an option. She wouldn't think that because she would never want to put her walk with Christ at risk. She's so deeply in love with her Savior. Being so gripped by the love of Christ would break her heart to do otherwise, to, to marry someone who is not in Christ. Besides, she knows the enemy. The enemy is deceptive. She knows there's a lot of nice guys out there. She also knows that they, <clears throat> guys will look good up front. They'll look good on the outward. But while the inward appearance, they just ain't got no fruit. And so what is she? She's a fruit inspector. Right? She's a fruit inspector. And words don't mean anything to her. It's what she sees. It's what she observes. What does the man like in hard times? What is the man like when he's going through a trial? What are, and what are the words coming out of his mouth? Does he talk about Jesus? Or do I have to initiate Jesus' talk every time I'm with him? No, 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 no. He initiates a quiet time. He initiates prayer. That's the kind of man you're looking for. And men, when you initiate it, you want a woman that's going to what? Follow suit and respect your desire to make Jesus number one in your relationship. So when this woman is looking for this man for marriage, she's looking for a man who is not provoked to talk about Jesus or talk about the Bible or to talk about even doctrine because she does, he does it on his own. Because she's looking to see it's genuine and real. As a matter of fact, she's looking for a man who will follow Christ with or without her. He is looking for a woman who will follow Christ with or without him. Because together as one, a wife who is committed and a husband who is committed to Christ make for a Christian marriage. So when we read Ephesians chapter 5, one word, wives, that's who he has in mind, Paul. When he reads verse when we read verse 25, husbands, it is the Christian wife, the Christian husband, as we just defined them. Which brings us to the purpose of Christian marriage, and it's fourfold. Number one is companionship. Companionship. Now, now, when it comes to Christian marriage, it comes from the understanding who God is and that God does nothing arbitrarily. He just doesn't do it for the sake of doing it. Okay, He does everything with a purpose. Including marriage. He created marriage for a purpose. And marriage flows out of God's design for his creation. It flows out of his glory to come back to him for his glory. Does that make sense? It's a glorious creation. So what God creates 
you know, out of his glory. He's designed to come back to him for his glory. So look at, let's look at the purpose number one is companionship. Let's go back to Genesis chapter two. And I'm starting with companionship because I think this is, this is more important than procreation. You often hear procreation is the purpose. It's companionship is number one. Procreation is going to be number two. But companionship is number one. Verse 18 of Genesis chapter two. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper, a mate, suitable, suitable for him. God's first concern was for man's mutual help, comfort, and companionship. Verse 18 right there. To go through life together. That word means friendship. Friends. Friends who will go through everything together. The deepest valleys and the highest mountaintops and everything in between. Go back to chapter 1, verse 26 of Genesis. And we read this. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle on the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Then verse 27, God created man in his own image and then he created woman after man's image. But they are to co-rule together on this planet. Okay, we'll talk about how that balances out next week. Submissiveness and love, how that works together perfectly. And all you have to do is look at the Trinity to figure that one out, by the way. It is the ultimate holy picture of how a husband and woman work together, okay? How she helps him without him domineering over him, okay? Okay, and, and all the other picture, the next picture is Christ and his church. So you have two doctrinal pictures that God has painted for us in his word to describe for us how this, how a wife submits to her husband and husband loves the wife. But right here in Genesis 1, we see the priority is companionship. Companionship. God specifically tailored the woman for the man. That's what it means, help her suitable for him. Tailored for him. That's why when he created her later on in verse 22 of chapter 2 of Genesis, it wasn't out of a bone of the foot or part of the brain. He'd really be hurting then. You get the picture. It wasn't, you know, the cranium. It was out of his side because she is supposed to be what? With him, beside him. It's companionship. That's the picture here. It means friendship, to share, to experience life together. The ups and downs, this is why we say in marriage vows of sickness and in health. For richer or poorer. Here's why. Circumstances just don't matter. Your circumstances are going to change in however many years you're married. It changes to go up and down all the time. But you're committed. You're friends for life. Your companions for life. You love each other unconditionally and sacrificially. You know, I often counsel in premarital counseling, not often, every time in premarital counseling, I tell this couple this you're going to change. In five years, both of y'all are going to be a little bit different. Ten years, even more different. And I give plenty of examples. One I love to give is a humorous one. I'll look at the guy and I'll say, you know, your fiance, your future wife, right now, what's her favorite color? He'll say something like red. I'll say, just guess what? In 10 years, it's going to be a different one altogether. They change. Tastes change, right? But more, on a more serious note, we change physically, don't we? Things happen. 
We gain weight, we lose weight. We get in accidents, right? We change. So when you're talking about a commitment before God, we're talking about, I'm going to commit to this person. We're going to be companions no matter how we change. Because the one thing that cannot change, the one thing that will not change, is our commitment to Jesus Christ. Because he is the one that makes the Christian marriage, not our circumstances, but him. Him. We have companionship. I love this is why First Peter said, First oh, Peter chapter three, verse one. We just read this. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, okay, <clears throat> as with a weaker vessel, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. I love the first part of verse seven. Husbands, live with your wives. Well, what does that mean? Man, it means spend time with her. She's your companion. Say no to the guys and say yes to her. Do things together. Read together. Go out together. That never stops. Right? I love you. If this is going to work, you've got to live with them. The man is prone to go off on his own a little bit, I think. And maybe it's just how he's sinfully wired when sin came in, you know, you know what I mean? He he's kind of wants to go out. No, live with her. But he says this in an understanding way. Oh my, I gotta, it's not just live with her, that's just coexisting. Marriage is not a coexistence between two people, it's a companionship. So he says live with her in an understanding way. I love this illustration. And I can't remember where I got this from, uh, Anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Years ago, I got this illustration. Oh, his name's on the tip of my tongue. I can't remember. Uh, Tony Evans. You heard of Tony Evans? Okay, yes. And I heard the sermon. He preached it so much better than I did anyway, but we won't go there either. Go on the website and listen to his sermon on First Peter 3, 7. It's fantastic. By the way, he said he compared the wife to like reading the book of Revelation as opposed to a simple letter from Paul. With all the figurative language and the figurative speech, it's hard for a man to understand her because her emotions are up and down all the time. And, and it, it, to understand her, you've got to spend time with her. You've got to think about her. You've got to understand how she's wired. You've got to understand she changes, but you love that. And you want to cultivate her in her walk with Christ. But that's her context. That's who she is. And so to understand her is not easy for us to understand at times our wives. But you can also flip the coin, I'm sure. It's not always easy for our wives to understand us. Jim, how come you like beige all the time? You're so vanilla, Jim. <laughs> that's one of the jokes we have. But she's right. She's got all these colors. And here I am over here. Boring is what she's saying. Well, I just like to be predictable. Well, I don't like you being so predictable all the time. Anyway, little insight to our relationship as companions in Christ. So, kind of nice she's not here this morning. She's not really here. Kind of works out pretty good. Careful. Careful, thanks. Thanks, Ron. But, but you get the picture of what Peter is saying here. Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as a someone weaker since she is a woman. I don't think that's mentally weak. I think that simply means physically weak. They are, they are weaker than the man. 
We are the protectors. She counts on us to protect her spiritually, but also physically and even emotionally. And so therefore we must understand her and all those areas to be a faithful protector as we are the little S, the little savior in her life. Jesus is the big S. He is the sovereign. He is the Lord. But as Christ loves the church, I am to be the little S and love my wife the way he would. And the way he does. Amen? Amen. All right. That's companionship. Procreation. This will be short because I think we all get this idea. <laughs> Please, never mind. I want to go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 8. God says, be fruitful and multiply. Just as God created all of life to reproduce according to his kind, plants after plants, animals after animals, he designed man and woman to do the same. And as image bears, we are have headship over creation. And in order for that goal to be realized and us to be faithful, we've got to populate the earth for that to be a reality. So that's procreation. We understand that. And that's one reason why man married to a man, a woman being married to a woman is just wrong. And the reason number, I don't know how many, reason number 10 is because they can't procreate. Okay? This is common sense, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's common sense. Now, the next two come after sin into the world. The first two purposes have to do with before the fall, companionship and procreation. Now, the third one is after the fall. Number three, the third purpose for Christian marriage is the avoidance of sin. The avoidance comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2. If you'd like to turn there for a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2. Again, it's kind of just common sense, but remember, this one is after the fall. But because of immorality, each man is to have his own wife, and each woman is to have her own husband. The avoid, in other words, avoid fornication. Okay, avoid fornication. Because of the fall, marriage now takes on another purpose, to avoid sin, to avoid fornication. First Thessalonians 4, 3, Paul tells us what? It is God's will that we abstain from sexual immorality. We talked about that last week, by the way. That we possess our own bodies in sanctification and honor. And, and when God saves a wife, saves a husband, saves a marriage, or when those Christians join in the marriage together, their goal is to handle their bodies in a way that honors their Creator. That's why you have Proverbs 5, verse 15, which says, or warns, drink water from your own cistern and fresh water from your own well. Sexual intimacy is what is in mind in that proverb, by the way. Proverbs 5, verse 16. Verse 18, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. And then we will close with this. It's pretty evident. And it really brings us back to Ephesians. It brings us back to Ephesians chapter 5. And it's right here in this whole context. Reason number four. Marriage demonstrates Christ in this church. Marriage, demonstra marriage demonstrates Christ and his church. The full, full, full purpose of marriage. Number one, companionship. Found in Genesis chapter 2. Number the second purpose is procreation found in Genesis chapter 1. The third purpose is the avoidance of sin, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And number four, 
marriage demonstrates Christ and his church. Let me end with this. Marriage is the billboard of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Husbands, how you treat your wives. Wives, how you treat your husbands is a picture, it's a snapshot, particularly to your children, of Christ and his church. You, listen, I'll end with this, and we'll pick up with this next week. You can have your child careering down right. You can be doing great. Your children, when they watch mom and dad, they don't see that love for Christ. They don't, they don't see what we're reading about here in Ephesians. It's as if it undoes all that child training we've done for all these years. Because what speaks loudest to my daughter is how her dad treats her mother. What speaks loudest to your son is how the wife responds to him and how the husband responds to her. What we forget is that we're training our children who to look for in marriage when they get older. Because outside trusting Christ, that'll be the second greatest decision they make who they're going to marry. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you for this time together. Thank you that when we look at marriage, we look at how, how we exalt Christ with, with something so beautiful and wonderful as marriage. It's what you design. And Father, how we treat marriage, it just shows how much we honor you, the designer of marriage. And, and, so, and, and Jesus was there when, we, when you created all this. You made man in our image, chapter 1. He was there in chapter 2. And, and so, Father, it's how we, we exalt the risen Savior. God, I pray for our young ones. There's parents who would train them up over the years and who to look for, what to look for, to be fruit inspectors. As they begin later on in life to, to look at who God would have for them, but to also to stay within your will and look for a believer. Not just a nominal believer, God. There's enough of them already. We don't want to be that way, and we don't want our children to look for one like that, but one, those, that, that, that man, that, that woman that is sold out for Christ. And they see it in their life already. And they've observed the fruit therein already in different ways, in different circumstances. They see the heartbeat of that man or that woman, and that heartbeat says, I live to exalt Jesus no matter what. Amen and amen.